the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Gold to four nine. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy shares more wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I think Solomon's thinking orbits around verse 13. He speaks of those times in life when you and I are left scratching our head in bewilderment as to what God's up to in our lives. Have you ever been there? Has that happened to you? Sometimes we can't make head nor tail of God's providence or plan in our lives. Have you ever waxed nostalgic about the past? Maybe you think your best years were in high school or college. It happens to so many of us because looking back, we often forget the trials and remember only the golden moments. But today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy calls us to live in the present. He's taking us on a deep dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 7 to show us why today must be lived with focus and intention. Now here's Philip with a message titled, Live and Learn. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes 7. If you're visiting with us, we're in a series of studies in the book of Ecclesiastes. We have entitled, The Quest for the Best. Solomon's on a search with regards to the meaning of life, what equates to significance and success on our earthly journey. And we're working our way through his treaties, through his thesis. He will ultimately get to a conclusion in chapter 12 and verse 13 that The real issue in life is to fear God and keep His commandments. That's where life is to be found and the one who gave life in the first place. And so we encourage you to come back each week and join us as we journey through this book. And we've been spending some quality time in Ecclesiastes 7 verses 1 through 14. We've already covered verses 1 through 4 and verses 5 through 6. We've given the title to this sermon, We Live and Learn. Solomon is looking back over his life experience, and in a series of proverbs and wisdom insights, he tells us what's good for us and what's not good for us. And then verses 1 through 4, he tells us we can live and learn when bereaved. He tells us in verses 5 and 6, we can live and learn when berated. And then in verses 7 through 14, he tells us we can live and learn when bewildered. Let's read from verse 7. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. 
Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those that have it. Consider the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. As I was reflecting on this text, I I journeyed back to those times when my mother would administer some medicine to me, you know, something that tasted like hemlock. And often she would administer that medicine and she would sugarcoat that whole experience with these words, Philip, swallow it, it's good for you. Okay? Now, if I fought back, she had another line. Philip, swallow it if you know what's good for you. (laughs) This carried on sometimes over into the dining room and we'd sit and have evening dinner together and, you know, I'd work my way through the potatoes and the meat, but I'd kind of left the Brussels sprouts or the cabbage or the spinach or something at the side of the plate. And mom with her, uh, you know, uh, ever seen eye would often walk by and say, Philip, eat up your vegetables. They're good for you. I often pondered that. You know, why did God put so many vitamins and spinach and none in ice cream? I don't understand that. But that's the way it is. It's good for you. Well, at the time, it didn't seem that good. And it raises the question, doesn't it? What is good for us? How do we determine that? Can bad things be good things, ultimately? That's a good question. And in fact, it's a question that occupies the mind of Solomon. We saw this the last time we studied this passage. Because chapter 7 hinges on verse 12 of chapter 6, where Solomon leaves a question dangling at the end of that chapter, for who knows what is good for man in life? And what happens in chapter 7, especially in verses 1 through 14, Solomon makes a stab at answering that question. And he does it in a series of proverbial statements. Solomon was a master of the proverb, a statement that often contrasted certain things in life to make a point. And so in this chapter, he said, I'll tell you what's good for you. In verse 1, he says, a good name is better than expensive perfume. In verse 1, he tells us the day of death is better than the day of birth with its promise of prosperity. In verse 2, he tells us mourning is better than festivity and mirth. In verse 3 of chapter 7, he tells us that sorrow is better than laughter. In verse 5, he tells us the rebuke of a wise man is better than the praise of a fool. In verse 8, he tells us the end of a thing is better than its beginning. In verses 8 and 9, he tells us patience in waiting for God's timing is better than fretting over the elusiveness of things. And in verses 10 through 12, he tells us further affliction may be better than any immediate outcome that seems good. There's a lot of things to learn. And we've been working our way through the opening 14 verses of chapter 7. And we come here to the the last section. We live and learn when bereaved, verses 1 through 4. We live and learn when berated, verses 5 through 6. And now we live and learn when bewildered, verses 7 through 14. In fact, I think the linchpin for this last section is verse 13. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? 
In this last section, I think Solomon's thinking orbits around verse 13. He speaks of those times in life when you and I are left scratching our head in bewilderment as to what God's up to in our lives. Have you ever been there? Has that happened to you? Where you can't get it straight in your mind as to what God is up to. Your life is a muddle. Your life is um, a mix of things that's not to your liking. And Solomon says, you know what? That's often the case. And who can make straight what God has made crooked? Now, the thought here of crookedness doesn't have a moral component to it. Solomon's not charging God with any wrong. He's simply saying that God's ways at times are past finding out. That God allows things to happen in our life that seem like a jumble to us. Seem all crooked and intertwined. And we can't untangle it. We can't straighten it out. And Solomon says, hey, that's the way it's going to be. I've learned that. I've lived long enough to see that. So in the day of prosperity, rejoice. In the day of adversity, consider, reflect that there's no way to find out what God is always up to. I think that's the issue that really this last section swarms around. Sometimes we can't make head nor tail of God's providence or plan in our lives. Gideon was once there, wasn't he? In Judges 6 verse 13, if God is for us, then why are so many things against us? Sometimes we wonder whose side God is on when we look at our lives. Our life seems like a jigsaw puzzle with many pieces that are missing. That's where this passage is at. In fact, Ken Gangle from Dallas Seminary in his book on Ecclesiastes tells us of the fact that in the year 1894, 1894, do you know how many automobiles there were in the United States total? Four. Four. By 1897, there were just two. And they were to be found in the city of St. Louis, Missouri. And you know what happened? Before 1897 was over, those two cars had a head-on collision. That's amazing, you know? Two cars in the whole of the United States, and they couldn't avoid each other. Ken Gangle says it's Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. We've all had to live with Murphy's Law. How do you deal with those puzzling circumstances? What do you do when life drives you into a cul-de-sac? Well, that's what we're dealing with here in this section. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? Who can make sense of what the infinite mind of God has planned and purposed for any one of us? Romans eleven thirty three. His ways are past finding out. God is too kind to be cruel, too wise to make a mistake, and too deep to explain himself. But we did learn back in chapter 3 and verse 11, he makes all things beautiful in his time according to his plan, in his ways, after the counsel of his own will. Just get used to that submit to that. Embrace that. Don't be frightened by that. That's what you've got to live and learn when you're bewildered. You've got to give God the benefit of the doubt. Life is in higher hands than ours. Life is in higher hands than ours. 
In fact, I can't think about that without thinking about a story related to Vance Havner, an old Southern Baptist preacher from the Carolinas who's now with the Lord, but I've enjoyed his writings and I commend them to you. It's just some homespun theological wisdom. On a particular morning, his wife dies. It's 2.15 on a Sunday morning. But he had prepared his message and God gave him grace within a few hours to stand in the pulpit of his church to preach a message that he had prepared. And so he gets up and he preaches from Matthew 11, verses 5 through 6. It's the story of John the Baptist. It's the story of how John the Baptist is confused and bewildered as to what God is up to through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. At times, Jesus' ministry doesn't fit his profile of a true Messiah, Israel's true and promised deliverer. And so John sends a message to Jesus. Jesus sends a message back. and says, look, John, I am the one. And here's what I've been doing. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verses 5 and 6. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Vance Havner paraphrases that. I love this. He calls it the forgotten beatitude. Blessed is the one who does not get upset at the way I run my business. John, you may have questions. You may not see all that God is up to. It may not fit your own thinking, your own perspective. But I'm telling you, I'm the one who's been promised. And God's plans are on track. And God's will is unfolding. And you better not be offended by me. Don't be upset by the way I run my business. Listen, write this down. Think about it. God is not interested in hiring any one of us in an advisory capacity. Okay? You know, what God has made crooked, no man can make straight. That's what we're dealing with here. Now, as you reflect on these verses, there's several things I want us to see from verse 7 through to 14. In fact, as I reflected on this passage, I saw three wrong attitudes and two right responses when it comes to the mystery of God's providence. Three wrong attitudes, two right responses. Let's work through the verses. Let's look at the wrong attitudes. This is not how you're meant to act when it comes to the trials of life. Number one, the first wrong attitude is impatience. Look at verse 8. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Literally, in the Hebrew grammar, length of spirit is preferred to height of spirit. One Hebrew word speaks of length, and another Hebrew word speaks of height. It's a metaphorical way of encouraging that in the face of trial and tribulation, God encourages long patience, and He puts us on the guard against soaring pride. Faced with the mystery of God's providence, faced with the conundrums of life, you and I need to fight in patience with God. We must be willing to submit to the heat of the furnace and let patience have its perfect work. Let's go back to James chapter 1 and see this worked out in a word from James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very familiar words, but a good to be reminded of them this morning. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You and I have got to stay under our trials 
We've got to persevere. We've got to endure so that God can squeeze out of us those things that he wants to remove, and God might put into us those things that are lacking in our maturity and in our ministry. That's the process. And James says, you know what? Submit to the trial. Don't react wrongly. Don't show a spirit of belligerence and impatience with God. We react sometimes, don't we, quickly? We want instant relief. We become hot under the collar, and under pressure, we begin to think poorly of God. We begin to work out how we can extricate ourselves from this situation quickly. We even become prey to some doubts regarding God's goodness. Solomon says, hey, I've lived and learned the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And what I'm reminded of here is something you and I need to grapple with. There are no shortcuts to success, none whatsoever. The way out is always through, even if it's bitter, even if it's tough, even if it's hard. Life is a long-haul business. And you and I need to be in it for the long haul. That's sometimes true of business. It's sometimes true of marriage. It's sometimes true of life. Jesus faced that temptation, didn't he? In the temptation in the wilderness. You know what? Satan presents a ring road around the cross. An easier way, a quicker way to dominion and rule over the kingdoms of this world. But there are no shortcuts. In fact, some years ago, I was reading a book on the will of God, and the writer George Morrison, an old Scottish writer, drew my attention to Exodus 13, 17. Write that verse down. Look at it later. I'll read it for you. It's to do with the Exodus. Hence, it's from the book of Exodus. And it's to do with Israel leaving Egypt and moving towards the promised land and, and all that God had made covenant with Abraham concerning. Here's what we read. This is a verse I'd never come across. God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. What we read about in the book of Exodus is God didn't take them to the promised land through the land of the Philistines, although it was near. In fact, according to our calculations, it was about a five-day hard march from Egypt, or at least the borders of Egypt, through to the land of Canaan by way of the territory of the Philistines. But God didn't take them that way, even though it was near. No shortcut. God took them a hard way. And because of their stubbornness, it took them 40 years to get there. Listen to George Morrison. It is strange to think that by the straight road, it was a tolerably brief journey from Egypt to Palestine. Four or five days hard marching by the route that is now common with the traitors. Four or five days would have done it. Yet Israel took 40 years to do it. And we know the hardships and the sorrows and the battlings that filled with bitterness their 40 years. Yet for all that, the leadership was God's. The pillar of cloud and fire led the advance. The longest way around was the shortest way home. There was a near cut, certainly, but here at any rate, the near cut was not God's. Whew. I read that as a young Christian and reminded myself it's tempting at times to short circuit what God wants to do in your life. But there is no shortcuts to success. There are no ring roads to maturity. The way out is always the way through. 
And that's why we need to be patient. Secondly, we need to guard against anger. There's another wrong attitude in the face of life's furnace. It's easy, as I've already said, to become impatient with God's plan and then to bristle under His providence, become agitated and angry. Look at verse 9. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. In fact, I think you've got a similar thought here up in verse 7. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe the basis his heart. Pictures a righteous man trying to live for God, keep his nose clean, do right, but he watches oppression. He watches the wicked prosper, and he loses it. He loses his mind, and he loses his temper, and he loses his way. This is the great danger. When you're at that place in life where you're scratching your head, and you don't know what God's up to because no man can make straight what God has made crooked. Well, then guard against impatience and guard against anger. According to Solomon, wise men can become fools, and good men can do bad things. Remember old Moses talking about the promised land? He never got there. Why? Because according to Numbers 12, verse 3, and Numbers 20, verses 1 through 13, there was a day that Moses lost his temper, and on that day he lost more than his temper. He lost the privilege of entering the promised land. Here's a third wrong response. I like this. Verse 10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? Is that where you've been this week? Have you been looking back to better days in marriage, business, life? Solomon says, that is not a wise path. That is not a good trait. Live and learn. Live and learn. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Here's another wrong attitude. When you're in a tough time, when you're in a bind, when you're in a squeeze, guard against nostalgia. Guard against impatience. Guard against anger. And guard against nostalgia. Solomon warns here about having a selective memory of glossing over the past making it sound better than it was. And when you do that, it makes the present seem more than it is. So Solomon says, hey, wisdom would tell you this, that every age and every stage in life has its good times. There's no time like the present. Why? Because it's all you got. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. And today's message calls us to adopt a biblical perspective for the past, present, and future. Our study in the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us to live and learn. You can hear more messages from the Quest for the Best series when you visit us online at ktt.org. There you can access our broadcast archives for free or purchase messages on CD. And don't forget, messages are also available on the KTT app and podcast. At Know the Truth, we make these Bible study messages available on the radio and on the web because we know that faith comes from hearing God's Word. And Philip takes seriously the job of teaching the Bible, broadcasting the truth that sets men and women free. And we want to invite you to become part of our mission when you give a generous one-time donation today by calling 888-644-8811. Or become one of our monthly Truth Ambassadors. It's easy to sign up online at ktt.org. 
We are a listener-supported ministry, so your gifts make this daily broadcast possible. And when you donate $20 or more today, we'll send you a booklet titled The Resurrection and You. Well-known authors Sean and Josh McDowell lay out the answers to common questions about the resurrection, giving you rock-solid evidence for your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask for the booklet The Resurrection and You when you give a generous gift of $20 or more. Donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. Just a few more days to get this handy resource. And that's also true for this month's free gift to new listeners. You can get Philip's Easter message, Access Granted, on CD. We'll send it right out to you just for letting us know you're listening. Again, call 888-644-8811 or make your request online at ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for another lesson about living and learning. That's Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. The Jonas Brothers have a second new hit called Cool that's climbing up the charts with nearly 20 million views on YouTube in its first week. The track gives shout-outs to the Jonas Brothers' significant others as well as big names such as Post Malone and James Dean. Tune's video looks like a playful throwback to a leftover Miami Vice set. There are retro suits, a bright yellow Ferrari, and lots of adoring females dancing around in pretty revealing swimwear. And it's all in an effort to communicate, albeit profanely, just how cool life can be. For a full review of the song, visit us at PluggedIn.com radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. If you'd like three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.